So I hate to say this next sentence because it might build an expectation of something greater than I, I can deliver. But I, I recalculated, and I have been working on this sermon for well over a year. Um, this sermon has just been on my heart like I can't believe. And when I laid out the speaking schedule, doing the word commission from now until Easter, from back then until Easter, I thought, I'm not going to get this letter. Brad Sickler is going to get this letter. And so I sent him, I'll bet I sent him 20 pages of notes. I mean, because just the stuff on my heart. And then I called him a couple weeks later and said, hey, have you started working on that? He said, no. I said, good, because I was wrong. I get to preach it. You get the next letter. <laughs> and so I'm really excited about preaching it. Now, the expectation that might build is, wow, this is going to be a good sermon. And it may or may not be what you would think of as a good sermon. But what you should hear from that, the expectation I would love to have in your heart is that this is something God put on Pastor Steve's heart for the past 12 months or so. I wonder if it's for my heart too, because I really hope that it is. I'd like to encourage you, if you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians 5.15. Um, almost everything I'm going to say is going to be on a screen. There's a Bible app event for this. You can follow along that way. So almost everything I'm going to say is on a screen, um, but there's something about having your finger on a page sometimes. It can be really helpful to you personally. And some people get frustrated when they're reading from one version and I'm speaking from another. I used to get frustrated with that, but as it happened more frequently, it began to give me just a different sense of nuance from the meaning that when a pastor said intentional living, um, which is at the top of the screen, your version says living intentionally, and it just gives you that different perspective and kind of adds to it and adds a little color. Neither of the passages say this, <laughs> that particular phrase, but it can be helpful to you in that regard. Ephesians 5.15, it's our key verse really. And in chapter 5, as you're reading along, you can see the Apostle Paul is talking about how we should live. And he talks about things to avoid. He talks about avoiding sexual impurity and greed. He talks about obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. He says, don't do that. Immorality, impurity, disobedience. And then in verse 15, it, just in this one verse, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And that's the counsel for us this morning. We're in a sermon series on commission. If you're just joining us, we've been taking those letters, C-O-M-M-I-S-S-I-O-N, and developing sermon titles from it. The C stands for called, that you are called to something. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you are just the right person to do them. The O stands for outward focus, that you will need to have a focus toward others if you're going to influence others and be important in their life and useful in their life for the sake of Christ. The M, the first M, stands for mountain-moving faith, which turns out to be just a mustard seed, just a, like a half a sesame seed on top of a Big Mac, just a tiny little bit of faith uh, is mountain-moving faith, and you've been given that. And the, the next M stands for made to make a difference. You were made to make a difference. The I stands for intentional living, that you live your life with intentionality, that you don't face life with a, oh, whatever kind of attitude, but you kind of embrace it as your own. You give intention to the way you're living, and you are very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase that is on the screen there, the banality of evil? And just because I'm curious, I would like to know, how many have heard that phrase? Let me see your hands. 
Okay, good, good. Several of you have. It's not a real popular phrase. It uh, is from a book title by a woman named Hannah Arndt. We're going to talk about her at length. She was uh, a survivor of the Holocaust. Dr. Rick, Richard Beck uh, from Abilene Christian University actually tells the story of Arndt in a way that kind of alerts us to the need for intentional living. Arndt's story tells us to be careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Arndt was... Uh, a Jew living in Nazi Germany. And by 1940, she had been imprisoned by the Nazis. She managed to escape to the United States in 1941. Naturally, being a Jew who has escaped the Nazis, she gave careful attention to what was happening in her home country of Germany and to her people, the Jewish people there. At the end of the war, the Nazi criminals were put on trial at a place called Nuremberg, And one of them actually escaped prosecution. It was a man named Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann had been called the architect of the Holocaust. The Holocaust is the murder of six million Jews. When someone says the Holocaust, that's what they're talking about. Eichmann was in charge of that. He was in charge of moving Jewish people in Germany into the ghettos in Germany and then moving them from the ghettos into the trains and moving them into trains to the concentration camps and moving them into concentration camps to the gas chambers and then finally moving six million of them into mass graves. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. Eichmann made it happen. Eichmann, the bureaucrat of the Holocaust. Eichmann the personification of evil. Eichmann, the paper pusher of death. When the Israeli government tracked him down, he was living in Argentina. It was about a decade and a half after the trials at Nuremberg. They brought him back to Jerusalem and put him on trial. Hannah Arndt has been watching. She happens to work for the New Yorker. And she goes to her editor and she says, you've got to send me there to cover Adolf Eichmann's trial. And the, uh, the editor agreed to do so. In the end, in the end, she wrote of that and wrote of the whole incident in a book that she called Eichmann in Jerusalem, a report of the banality of evil. Now that word, banality, it's not one you use every day, is it? It means Lacking in originality, boring, predictable, obvious, dull, dim, simplistic, with no real depth at all. Now, since banal and banality are not common words, I was wanting to think of how can I give you an example of that, and I happen to have a subscription to the artificial intelligence engine Chat GPT. So I said to Chat GPT, would you please give me, and I often say please to the artificial intelligence because when they take over, I want them to like me. <laughs> I said, would you please give me an example of some banal song lyrics? The artificial intelligence hit a home run. This is how it responded. How about this? Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. 
I'm all about that base, about that base, no trouble. I'm all about that base, about that base. I know nothing of those lyrics except I know they're boring, they're obvious, they're dull, they're dim, they're simplistic, they're without any real depth, they're banal. They're banal. Now, there's always someone who's out there saying, man, eh, you older guys are always picking on our music. Let me just pick on my own. In my generation, there was a song that said this, sending out an SOS, sending out an SOS, sending out an SOS, I hope somebody gets my message in the bottle, sending out an SOS, sending out an SOS, sending out an SOS, I hope somebody gets that message in the bottle. This tickled me because my wife loved, loved this band and I never could stand them, but I'm going to sing it just to mock it and I'm going to butcher it. You ready? Ready? Don't stop believing. Hold on. <laughs> the worship leader just said, check, please. <laughs> yeah. Banal. Now you know what it means. Banal is the word that aren't used to describe Rudolf Eichmann, which should be a little surprising to you because he's the personification of evil. As a Holocaust survivor, she wanted to look into the eyes of evil. She wanted a face-to-face with the devil. But listen to what she saw. And I'm going to read to you from Beck's book, the chapter that he speaks about this. It's only 10 sentences. I know being read to is something you like when you're a child, but it's kind of hard to follow along uh, when you're an adult. But hang in there for 10 sentences because it's written so well. Richard Beck, Abilene Christian University. I, here's, what, here's what Arndt saw. Eichmann was bland, polite, and intellectually shallow. By the end of the trial, Arndt concluded that Eichmann was more of a fool than a devil. Arndt wrote, everybody could see this man was not a monster, but it was difficult indeed not to suspect that he was a clown. Beck goes on. We often assume that evil is some dark, spooky, occult force, like the demon possession in The Exorcist. But after seeing Eichmann, Arndt was convinced that the face of evil in the world is actually quite ordinary and boring. Evil is as boring as forwarding emails and making copies at the office. Evil is keeping the paper moving. And here, in this next phrase, these next sentences, is where Beck speaks to us most clearly this morning. I'll put it on the screen. Evil, according to Arendt, is unthinking assent to the values, norms, and expectations of our world and the institutions we work and serve within. Evil is unthinking conformity to the zeitgeist, the German word that means the spirit of the age. Okay, so I first read that about a year ago. And I thought, that's worth highlighting in blue. If I highlight in yellow, it's pretty good. If I go to green, it's better. If I go to blue, it's great. If I go to red, it's wrong. Evil, according to Arndt, is unthinking assent to values, norms, and expectations of our world and institutions we work and serve within. Evil is unthinking conformity to the spirit of the age. Yeah, I believe that's accurate even more now than I did when I first read it. Evil is simply going along with the flow. The flow of a world that has sold itself to Satan. Evil is 
a matter of unthinkingly buying into everything that the world has to offer, small things and large things. Evil is a matter of carelessly going along with the spirit of the age, the spirit of the day, the zeitgeist. I wonder if I do that sometimes. I wonder if you and I do that sometimes. I wonder if, like Eichmann, (laughs) we live our lives carelessly rather than intentionally. And if we do, I would suggest that we're being lazy. If we're being lazy, if we're being unintentional in our living, how is that affecting our commission, what we're called to do? I ask that because you know that living your commission requires that you abandon careless, sloppy thinking and begin to pursue intentional living. It requires that you exchange your banality for intentionality. And the Bible teaches that there is an evil spirit of the age. It's in passages like Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians and he says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Do you hear that phrase? And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's what Eichmann was caught up in, the zeitgeist. He wasn't intentional, maybe, about how he lived, about the choices he made uh, about the work he did. And he just picked up the common mindset of everyone else around him in Nazi Germany. And Nazi Germany called the shots in his life. When you look at the Bible, you begin to apprehend the relentless and timeless nature of the zeitgeist. It's really nothing new. It didn't start in Nazi Germany, and and it's really not going to go away until Christ's feet stand on the Mount of Olives. It's always been here. You can think of examples. If you're familiar with the Bible story of Daniel and the lion den, you, you may remember that Daniel was a godly man. He prayed every day, opened the windows, prayed every day to God. Some people that didn't like him, something started to stir in them. A spirit started to stir in them. And they went to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, loved Daniel. And they went to him and said, hey, we have this idea. What do you think of this, king? What if we make a rule and let's make it punishable by, um, what do you think? How about death? We'll make it a capital punishment that if anyone prays to anybody but you, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, king, live forever, that, that, that they get thrown in the lion's den. How about that? And Nebuchadnezzar, unthinkingly, because remember, he loves Daniel, he gets swept up in the attitude that was all around him, in these men, in the spirit that was there, and he fell right in step with them. And Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. How about this? How do you explain soldiers going into Bethlehem and killing every child under two years of age? How do you explain that without considering the spirit of the day? That they were caught up in something that pressed them toward infanticide. How about our own world? The evils you see in our own world when you, when you look, I don't know, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the end of the earth, right down to our own communities, you see this here. How 
do you explain that without knowing there is an evil spirit of the age? It exists. I think it's safe to say that unless they are committed to intentional living, people are characterized by the words of 2 Corinthians 4.4, where the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Yeah, the spirit of the age blinds people like crazy, and it tries to blind believers as well. Now, we're going to look at other Bible passages, but if you want like a passage we're going to spend a little time in, you can flip in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I will have it on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can do that as well. Most of the world is really blind to the zeitgeist. Do you remember not long ago, was it a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, that in Flint, Michigan, they were just drinking the water right out of the spigot. You know, just put a glass there. Oh, man, I was so thirsty. Cut the grass. Give me another glass. And they drink that stuff right down, not knowing that the water coming out of their faucet in their kitchen had toxic levels of lead in it. They didn't know that. They were clueless. Thank God someone tested it. <laughs> Yikes! This water is poison. That's the way it is with the spirit of the age. Fads that come along, ideas that come into your head, movements that you see happening in society, trends. The Bible tells us we need to be testing things like that. More blatantly, the Bible just plain says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. And intentional living requires that we do that. Intentional living requires that we do that. Otherwise, we will not be living our commission. That passage I just told you to turn to, 1 John chapter 4, the first verse says, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false, false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirits. That guy who has that television show that you tune into, test the spirit. That pastor that's standing up front saying words like banality and zeitgeist, I, I can't even say it now. Whatever that word was, it's lost now. Test him. Test that spirit. That YouTube guy you're listening to, that guy who podcasts, that website you're at, test the spirit. That trend that happens in your community, that thing that has nothing to do with church, but it's just a lot of fun and there's a lot of people involved, test the spirit. Test the spirit. And, and intentional living does that by just asking some questions like, where did this come from? What is the source here? Voices. <laughs> we hear them all the time. And they come from all different places in our lives. And if we're not engaged in intentional living, voices that are not in line with God will steal <laughs> your commission as they overpower and distract you. Voices that speak of good things but they're a little out of whack. Voices that speak of those vacations that you must take with your family or other, what kind of parent are you? Those voices that say, again, of children, you need to have them involved in every sport and playing an instrument and being in the band and being on the worship team and involved in the arts and going, all those things, till there's really nothing for them to do to sit quietly before God. 
voices. Voices that talk to you about how your house should look. Well, if you were, if you were a better wife and mom, your house wouldn't look like that. Voices. Voices that talk to you about what kind of truck you should drive. Yeah, if you were a real man, you'd have what your pastor has, a Hyundai. Oh, wait, that didn't work the way I thought it would. Huh, I got an amen from another Hyundai driver. Voices that talk to you about the truck you should drive, the boots you should wear. For crying out loud, someone made a comment about my socks the other day telling me they were from the 70s. I said, this is the same pair. All those voices, intentional living says, where is that coming from? Because chances are, if it's not driving you toward God, better if it is distracting you from, from God. The voice is probably the spirit of the age. And it is lying to you about what the abundant life looks like. And it is offering you a counterfeit of what the abundant life is. And if you're not living intentionally, it will steal your commission It will enslave you. Intentional living asks questions like, where did this come from? And where is this going? Where is it heading? What is the outcome of this? This thing that you've been talking about, you've been reading about, that that comes across your news feed, does it bring in your life, does it bring into your life unreasonable fear and anxiety? I got to tell you, I feel like anxiety is a big part of the spirit of the age. By the way, Going off the notes, baby. Hold on to your hat. My wife always looks at me like, wait a minute. I don't think this is in a sermon. Where's he going? So I had surgery last year. And I have insurance. But I got a bill for $59,000. That'll buy me a tank of gas for your truck, right? $59,000. And so I called the hospital and they said, yeah, your insurance company didn't pay that. I called the insurance company and said, we're working on it. We're not going to pay that. We're working on it. We're not going to pay that. We're working on it. And I was just out of my mind, and, I'm, and they're not listening. And, you know, sometimes I get bold with them, like, you're going to pay this, you know. Other times I'm like, just as polite as I can be. Okay, well, what do I need to do then? But I played the anxiety card. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I finally said to, like, a senior supervisor, in kind of a weak voice, I said it. I said, this is just filling me with a lot of anxiety, and I don't know what I'm going to do. They paid it. <laughs> I don't know if that was connected. I don't think it would have worked if I wasn't insured for sure, right? <laughs> anxiety. Fear and anxiety, they're, being, they're part of being human. You understand that? Like, you overcome your fears not by running away from them, but by facing them with Christ at your side. You, you, you deal with your anxiety. In fact, a little anxiety is probably absolutely necessary in order for you to grow as a human being. A little bit of fear is probably really important to have in your life, or else why would you turn to Christ? Why would you look to him? You don't have to run away from fear and anxiety. But fear that makes no sense? What is that? Where did that come from? An anxiety that stalls you right in the middle of the highway? What's going on there? And dread that prevents you from living your commission before God? That is not from God. That kind of thing is clearly part of the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor who's living out his commission. His name's Timothy. Paul wrote a couple letters to him in the second one. Toward the front, in verse 7, Paul says to him, The Spirit of God does not give us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
If you're doing things or not doing things because you're afraid of something that's out there that's going to shame you or berate you or belittle you, that something is not from God. And you can stand against it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, in the name of Christ, I stand against this spirit of the age and walk with Christ. The world we live in is saturated with these kind of things. They will rob you of your commission. If the spirit of the age isn't fear and anxiety, it might be hatred. Because you see a lot of that in the media and in the workplace. (laughs) Sometimes I, I feel hatred kind of peering into the windows of my soul. Do you ever feel that? It's knocking at the door to my heart. And I know that hatred and anger They are not from the spirit of God. That's from the spirit of the age. And so I stand against it in Christ's name. And I remember what Christ said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Intentional living asks those kind of questions. Where is this coming from? Where is this leading to? And is this actually taking me toward Jesus to the cross or away from it? I want you to look at the first three verses in 1 John 4. I don't have all these to put on the screen. Verses 1, 2, and 3 say this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Okay, there's the test. Did you see it? I'll put it on the screen. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Hmm. I want to talk to you about that word acknowledge. That word acknowledge doesn't just mean casual agreement. It isn't just tipping your hat for Jesus. Sometimes athlete celebrities, you know, athletic celebrities, or politicians a lot of times, or maybe some musicians you know, or even people we meet at school or at work, they'll tip their hat to Jesus, you know? Yeah, Jesus. I, I, I forgot about him. He's all right with me. I like Jesus a lot. Jesus is cool. He's fun. And when you look more closely, you see it's not real. There, there's no evidence that that is happening. You're not judging them. You're just like, what? I don't see that. They're just tipping their hat to Jesus. That, that word acknowledge actually means sincere agreement deep within. And, and, and you'll know this just as soon as I explain this to you, where it says acknowledge in chapter four, in chapter one, it says confess. And, you know, like Sunday school 101, you memorize this verse that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Greek word for confess there is the same as the word for acknowledge in John four. And you don't confess your sins casually. You don't say to Jesus, oh yeah, hey, I sinned. Hey, all God's children sin. (laughs) You know that, Jesus? Cool. You don't do that. You say, I've sinned and I know it. And I own it. Well, unless, unless the spirit of whatever you're involved in is acknowledging Jesus has come into flesh in a deep, sincere, agreement kind of way, hmm, it's probably not from God. So when you're testing the spirit of the God, you, I'm sorry, wow, that was the wrong sentence. Let me try that again. 
So when you're testing the spirit of the air, it's wise to consider, does this path that I am being led on carry me to a deep appreciation and a profound awareness of what Christ has done in paying for my sins, or is that kind of an add-on? Do I sense in this movement or in this message a profound agreement that Jesus has come from God, a an agreement that he has come in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, that that he died on the cross for the sins of humankind. He was buried and raised on the third day, and by trusting in him, having turned from my sin, I can have eternal life. Does it carry that kind of thing with it, or are they using Jesus sort of as an end, a means to an end? If the spirit of the day isn't in tune with the saving work of Christ, it's not from God. So you need to live with intentionality. You need to think. You need to test the spirits. You need to walk in wisdom. You need to be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. How do I do that? I mean, how do I really test the spirits of the age? How do I know if what I'm involved in, if I'm living with intentionality or if I'm being careless and sloppy about how I'm living? And I'd like to make a couple suggestions. The first one is this. Live intentionally regarding your time. Live intentionally regarding your time. How are you spending your time? The old King James said, redeeming the time for the days are evil. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about living intentionally with the time you have. What are you doing with your time? I have heard people suggest that you should tithe your time. That just as you give a tenth of that which you have to God, perhaps, you give a tenth of your time to God. And so let's do the math on that. That would be 2.4 hours each day you give that to God. God, I'm going to give you between 3 and 5 in the morning. You can have that when I'm sleeping. That would not be very intentional, right? It sounds kind of crazy if you think about it. 2.4 hours a day to give for God? Well, how much time do you spend on Netflix and Hulu? How much time do you spend gaming? How much time does cable news take up? How much time is given to sports? But I honestly want to tell you, I have never, and I will never even suggest that you do this. Tithe your time before God? No way. Do you know why? Because he owns all of it. If I'm just giving 2.4 hours to God, then I'm going to have a blast with the rest of that time. There'll be no Jesus in that. That is not what we have in mind, right? but my very life belongs to the crucified one. He purchased my redemption with his blood. It all belongs to him. And so I live intentionally. That doesn't mean I don't go hunting. It doesn't mean I don't go fishing. It doesn't mean I'm not a gamer. It doesn't mean I don't watch Netflix. It doesn't mean I don't listen to It's All About the Beat. I don't. But there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's that while I'm doing that, I ask myself, is this a good use of my time for the kingdom? And and often the answer is yes, because Steve, you have just been burning the candle at both ends, and you really need to veg out in front of this documentary on Netflix about how candles are made. You get any point? It all belongs to God. Be intentional about how you use it. Live intentionally regarding your time. Live intentionally 
about your resources and how you regard your, the King James said, the talents that the master has given to you. Every church leader in history, every disciple maker, every disciple making coordinator, every Sunday school superintendent, every children's church administrator, every nursery schedule coordinator, every trustee, every VBS director, all of them know exactly what Jesus was saying when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying there is a lot of ministry to do, but not a lot of people that are living intentionally regarding the resources, the talents that I have given them. Hmm. Yeah. But the spirit of the age says that I should test it. Test it. Because Jesus speaks very clearly that at the end of time, God will speak with us regarding how we spent our money and our time and our resources or as the King James says, our talents. Living intentionally gives sincere attention to what we're doing with what God has given us. And if you're going to live your commission, you're going to live intentionally with what God's given you. And all of this, you will live intentionally regarding your heart. So I want to do something. I'm not really sure if I can do it. Let me see. I just want to take you on a little trip in your imagination. Can we do that? I want you to imagine for a minute that there is no God. And I want you to remember the words of James who says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, the father of lights. So let's just imagine for a minute, he doesn't exist. And the blessings he has given you, they don't exist. So, um, Michelle, how many grandchildren do you have? Do you consider them blessings from God? He doesn't exist. He has not blessed you with those. Imagine they're not there. Okay? Um, Sean, in finding Pamela, do you feel you have found a treasure from God? Oh, sorry. He doesn't exist. And he's not blessing you. And there is no Pamela. Imagine that for a moment, okay? Um, Let me see. Who else should I pick on? Oh, man, there's so many of you. Milton. You're there with some kids of your own and some kids from the neighborhood. Do you see every last one of them as a blessing from God? I want the truth. Yes. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Milton, they're gone. Because there is no blessing from God. He's not blessing you. He isn't there. How would your life be without the blessing of God? What would it be like? Even people who don't know Christ get the blessing of God. Because the word of God says that very clearly. Theologians call it common grace. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God blesses everybody. So every granddad in the world, he says, yeah, well, not all of them have grandkids as good as ours. So maybe they won't won't say this. But every grandpa, every grandma in the world who loves those grandkids, wow, that's such a good thing to have. And if there was no God, 
who gives such blessings. Those quivers would be empty, right? We are incredibly blessed by God in those ways and in the most important way of all, through the gift of the forgiveness of our sin, through the gift of the release from shame, through the gift of the presence of the Spirit who dwells within all those who trust in Christ, through the hope of eternal life that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is no God who blesses, that doesn't exist. But because there is a God, you have all of these blessings, all of them. And this is probably the most awkward sentence I've written in a while, but read it in the silence of your mind as I read it out loud. Here's what, here's how to live intentionally regarding your heart. Intentionally direct the thankfulness that comes from your heart to express your appreciation for Christ by the way you live. Does that make sense? If you have any thankfulness, if you have found any consolation, if you have found any peace, if God has helped you through any dark time in your life, then, and if God has saved you, if God has saved you from the outcome of your sin, then allow that gratitude to flow out of your life in a way that demonstrates the thankfulness of your heart in the way you live. (laughs) You have a commission. You've been called. You need to have an outward focus. This is puzzling. That's supposed to go as I preach. There it goes. You need to have an outward focus, and you want to have um, mountain-moving faith. In fact, you already do have mountain-moving faith. You were made to make a difference. You need to engage in intentional living, and you can do that. (laughs) Don't have a whatever attitude toward what's going on in your life. Don't make the center of your life the pursuit of pleasures that will soon pass away. Don't march in time with the zeitgeist. (laughs) Exchange the banality. Exchange living a life of banality for living a life of intentionality. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. I'm going to pray that we all can do that today. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. So I want you to think for just another minute. I want you to think for the rest of your life. Often when we look at the passage in 1 John 4 about testing the spirits, we limit that to the incidents where somebody might be doing a deliverance ministry and helping someone where an evil spirit has gained ground in their life to free them from that. And and I believe that's a real thing. I've engaged in that myself more than once, for sure. But today we're talking about that passage in just a little bit different a way. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, Have I allowed the spirit of the age to so distract me that I am not living my commission in a way that honors God and brings satisfaction to my life? That's the question. And if the answer is, I have, you know, the prince of the power of the air has another name. He's Satan. And so the business you can do with him is in the name of Jesus say, 
I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I take this ground back. I will follow the spirit of God and not the spirit of the air. I will follow you, Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, he has to submit. And so we're going to just pray that way this morning as we pray that we could live intentionally. So bow your heart with me. Oh God, we are so thankful for your great love. It is your great love that moves us, that fills us, that breathes in us by the person of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, thank you for living in our hearts as we've trusted Christ. It is very easy for us to be distracted by all the voices that are around us and to misprioritize things and to put things on the back burner that we know we'll never get to if we leave them there. And we can see how the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they're under his spell. And we would confess that at times he kind of, he kind of obscures our vision. Forgive us for allowing that to happen. Forgive us for living life carelessly, thoughtlessly, sloppily. We turn our hearts to you. And as we do, when we think of the evil one, we think of the words in the book of Jude that says, the Lord rebuke you. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would command that the enemy would leave us and we would take this ground in our life and dedicate it to you, Jesus. We will live lives of intentionality, not by our own power, but by the power of the one who, was in, who is within us. <laughs> because you said it, Jesus, greater is he that is in you than he is that is in the world. And so make this day, February 26, 2023. Make this day a day that, that we will say, we are done with casual living and we embrace living intentionally for the sake of Christ Jesus. Amen.